Welcome to Healing Your Families. I like to help young moms of kids with special needs move from that frustration and stress to calm, confidence, and joy so they can achieve the quality of family life that they desire. And I know the teen years can be an especially challenging time for parents. And that's why I'm so excited to welcome our guest today. Let me tell you a little bit about them. Holly Henderson has been training teens and adults for over 20 years. Her training work began in the field of violence prevention and dating violence prevention. She's trained thousands of teens and young adults on recognizing the warning signs that lead to violent and deadly relationships. Holly has tools and advice to help parents see outside of their lives into the minds of teens. And they learn how their past conditioning is limiting their ability to see things correctly, how their default setting, settings lock them in a pattern for disconnect, how their communication styles are pushing their loved ones away, and what teens really want in order to thrive. Now, she, along with Josh Brazier, wrote the book, Banghead Here, You in the Equation. And Josh has over 15 years of experience working with youth and family in over a dozen countries. Josh brings a very unique perspective to healing and family culture. Having worked alongside thousands of young people and having been inside hundreds of struggling households, Josh's experience has led to deep and powerful insights that help create a new path of healing. So uh, welcome, Josh and Holly. I love your background. I love all the experience you've had. Anything you want to share about what led you down this path to helping teens and parents? When you say background, do you mean this chair that I found at the flea market <laughs> the other day or no? Um, you know, for me, it's been a very organic process. Um, I started a nonprofit while I was in, in college with some friends that helped orphanages all around the world. And we took young people and a lot of those young people just connected with them. Their parents would call me and say, hey, my kid's struggling. They really connected with you. Can you take them out to dinner and see what's going on? And just door after door kind of opened to get me to where I am right now, whether that was working with the treatment center, starting my own private practice, the work that Holly and I have done. Um, we've just, we've just tried to put ourselves in the mud with people so we can learn as much as we can and gain those insights that we've translated into the book that we've written. So it sounds like you had some natural ability. You started out with that and then. I think, I think so. I think it wasn't anything that I ever planned. I studied advertising in school. And so I thought I'd be a big advertiser and marketer and, you know, just these experiences that I've had with my world travels, with the nonprofit and seeing the kind of needs that there were out there, that it takes a real type of creativity to solve problems, especially in the human, like in the human department. Right. And so I think I just translated everything I learned in advertising to human nature and psychology and um, yeah, kind of fell into it and really enjoy it. Awesome. So. How about you, Holly? Um, Holly, you're on mute. Yep. <laughs> 
part of this book is especially meaningful for me because I was an at-risk youth and I lived away from home for a period of time uh, while going through therapy and then had to learn how to come home and reconnect in a family environment that was broken. Um, so part of what I offer today is some of that insight, but after coming home and kind of rehabilitating, I also went on to teach um, so many teens about how to have healthy relationships that were struggling as well. So the, um, learned a lot, even working in the, in the jail facilities, working with men who were sexual or young boys that were sexual offenders and kind of what that, that taught uh, when I was teaching you know, in the high schools as well. And then from there, Josh and I kind of grew up in the same area and we'd been following each other's lives and kind of catching up. I'd been on a trip for, with him for the nonprofit while he was working with the treatment center. And he was learning about what I was doing in uh, Ventura County with the school systems and some of my um, coaching. And, and we got together and collaborated on um, this tool that we felt was needed for parents and helping them reconnect to their families. You know, and this is near and dear to my heart. Um, so I'd like to start out with the question, what trends are you seeing that are causing so much disconnection in families now? It's, it's not an easy world to raise a family in nowadays. There's been uh, exponential change in even the last decade. Holly and I have seen so much um, disconnection caused by technology, social media platforms, and then just... Um, the, we can get into those in, in, in particular, but those, those have helped so much in this disconnection age because of the fact that like, you know, you're just on there comparing yourself to other people or you're getting trapped in some type of validation trap uh, with, with social media and the technology that we've just kind of noticed that the ability to communicate and sit in uh, the mess of what's going on in a family has just kind of deteriorated a, a, a whole lot. Um, and so that's, that's where we usually start off these discussions is just because parents are so worried about phone usage time and, and internet usage and all these different things. But it starts with us as caretakers to look at how we interact with those things and how those are keeping us from, from connecting with our, with our loved ones. Um, so that, that's kind of where we, we've seen a really big shift in the last little bit. Um, yeah. Go ahead, Holly. We also see trends of heightened anxiety and depression um, uh, the inability to be resilient, um, or also not being prepared for adult life. We've got a, we've been dealing with people in their early twenties that are struggling with launching their life, um, has also been a trend that we've seen. Um, in addition to, you know, increase of suicide, cutting, you know, recreation drug use has always been the case. I, I don't know that that that's a trend per se. It's just definitely a coping mechanism that is still being used. Anything else, Josh, in, in your? Yeah, sorry. My son just came home from school, so it's being a little bit loud. So I put myself on mute. But uh, I, I, I definitely think that there's also been a relationship perspective that's changed in families. Um, Holly and I really try to train our parents to become mentors and coaches as, as a parent versus what's happening seemingly right now with the need to be validated by our kids to become friends with our kids, which then really like it makes it very, very difficult to hold a boundary 
or to, to correct and to kind of coach somebody because we're worried more about how our relationship is with our kids versus our like stewardship, basically in guiding that child to their best place. So can I just interrupt real quick? I totally agree with that. That was my observation as, as a school teacher that parents are, want so hard, so much to be liked by their children, to be their, their friend, that they're not holding the structure. They're not giving that guidance. Yeah. And so that's interesting to hear you. Yeah, and then, and then they lack the respect, you know, uh, from adult to, to child. And they don't understand, a lot of parents don't understand that a child needs the containment to feel safe. And we start that early on, you know, a lot of times when the parents don't do that early on and then they're having problems and then they try and <laughs> use containment, it is a nightmare, right? Um, yeah. When the teens are older. And so, yeah. So it really needs to start long before they're teenagers, this building this rapport, this trust. I, I also think that Teens need to see that the parents are living what they're teaching. Mm. Yeah, it's hard to set a boundary with a kid when you're doing the complete you know, opposite of what you're saying. If you're saying get off your phone, but every single time you're trying to have a conversation or, you're, or your teen is trying to talk with you, you're on your phone as well, or you're somehow disconnected. Um, we, we get a lot of that is that's why we wrote, you know, the first part of this book series is you and the equation. Like it really starts with the parents having the courage to look at themselves first to say, what example am I setting? Am I on my back foot here? Did I not start some of these traditions and these trends towards communication and connection early on? And so if so, I can't really react from a place of fear and control in these situations. I need to step back and create a plan and then start working that instead of just constantly reacting instead of being more proactive, right? Uh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we're talking about, you've already started answering this, the biggest challenges that teens face when it comes to connection. Um, yeah. Anything you want to add to that? I mean, I, I, I look back and Holly and I, like we said, we grew up in our same area. We had, we lived in a pretty idyllic place and there was the ability just to hop on your bike and go different places and just explore the world. Um, right now with just the way the world is, there's, there's more an anxiety to be explorative and curious and that kind of fear and, you know, even fear from parents to kind of contain their kids and keep them smaller over parent or over, you know, just hover. Like we talked about with these hel helicopter parents has created this environment where they go to the phone or they go to gaming or they go to some other way to avoid the pain that they're feeling or the, or the feelings that they have. And so we find these trends of of keeping kids from connecting and just kind of staying in their rooms right like there's there's a need for kids to to experience to individuate to go out there and like step out there and say why well, I, I, I scraped my knee here and I bumped my you know I, I bumped my head here this is what I learned and the parents are there to help process through that but right now we're not even letting our kids do that and it is a scarier world out there we have to be prepared but we can't allow for just the the reins to be to be grabbed so tight that kids can't can't breathe 
So you're saying rather than putting, building the big fence around the home to protect the child, take them out in the world, just kind of warn them, here are some of the dangers, but try this and, and just be, you know, and, and give them that practice of walking through the forest rather than just trying to keep them out. Yeah, I mean, the barriers to connection also involve the lack of language. So when you're out practicing with other people, talking and engaging, then you're learning to use that muscle on how to communicate and talk. But it's very difficult if you are somebody who wants to connect and you go hang out with your friends and everybody has their own device and they're sitting on them and you want to practice, but nobody's available, right? Unless somebody, a strong parent in the home is like, turn your phones in guys. We are, we are like going to practice that muscle of communication. What happens is that now a lot of teens in social settings have anxiety and even adults coming out of COVID, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. Not having practiced that or interacted and they feel dumb or they feel scared or they, what should I say? I don't, you know, I don't know what to talk about kind of thing that also hinders people's ability to connect. It's just the lack of practice. You know, that is a really good point, the lack of practice. So some of that would be creating those opportunities. Right. To practice. Exactly. We, we often talk about creating opportunities and traditions in our family that allow kids to deliberately practice these skills of connection and communication. Um, we know, I, I use this example a lot, so hopefully it's not getting too long in tooth, but my father would take me on drives every Sunday because I loved cars and I wanted to always, he'd take me to the church parking lot and we'd drive around or we lived in an area with a lot of driving roads and he had a little sports car. And so I knew in that moment, my dad didn't every single time we get in the car, the minute the door closed, he didn't just start like, you know, peppering me with questions about what about this? What about this? Like we'd go on a drive and sometimes we would talk about some, some things and sometimes we would sit in silence and listen to music. But I, he was consistent with it. And so I knew that I had moments available to me if needed. And one of the things going back to your original question was what do kids need in order to connect? And it really is that consistency. It's to be able to trust a parent to say like, this is not going to be a one-off thing that my mom or my dad comes to me or whoever my caretaker is and says, Oh, tell me what's going on. And you create this moment connection and it never happens again. We as parents are those stewards that really need to be like, Hey, like I'm going to be consistent out of it. You're going to be able to trust this. You're going to be able to know that if something comes up, I'm not just going to react and I'm not going to blow it up into something big, but I'm going to bookmark certain things. And I'm going to say, all right, I'm going to come back to that. Or I'm not going to react to that. Or I'm just going to listen right now. And that way my team just feels very comfortable connecting. That trust is just so important and that consistency creates it. I love that. The trust, the consistency. And then you said not reacting. I, I can see that happening if, if the teen confides and the parent is shocked and horrified, that could just shut it down right there. <laughs> it's so true. There's a funny story that in high school and maybe I'm exposing too much, but I was at a high school party and I might have partaken in something. And my dad had known about it. And he asked me to pump the gas and I was trying to pump the gas. I couldn't get the gas thing into the gas hole. And he just said, Hey, we'll talk about this later. No reaction. 
He's just, he just understood that I'm young. I'm going to, I'm going to make mistakes. Experiment, yeah. I'm going to experiment. I'm not going to be perfect at these different things, but he's not going to have this big blow up reaction where he's just like, Hey, like it's going to cause disconnection. I'm never going to trust. I'm going to kind of create like a secret life, which is a trend that we see a lot with teenagers is they, they create this double life to avoid those moments of being held accountable or, or just that they feel disconnected and they don't know and they're curious and, and all these things. So my dad and my, my mom were very good at just like saying like, Hey, like not, not reacting. Right. And then just, like I said, bookmark it. Okay. Hey, I got to deal with this, but I got to deal with it when, and when I'm in the best place possible so that my team can trust me. So what you just described is markedly different from simply ignoring it or letting it slide. They did care what was going on in your life. They 100%. cared deeply. And that, that kind of new trend that we're seeing with parents being friends, we, we tend to guard that friendship and wanting to be cool or getting our validation from our kids. And so it's not that my parents weren't going to deal with it. And us as caretakers, we have to deal with these major things that are coming up. It's just like we talk about in the book is that we have to disengage and we have to put ourselves in the best position possible to be able to have things land well. And if we don't, we have to find that moment as we talk about is that if we don't, then we're in this reactionary state always, right? Like it just doesn't feel like a trustworthy space to, to, to communicate something that is very important that's going on. So do you feel that sometimes parents need to, well, you mentioned the boundaries to, you know, play the heavy to say, no, I, I, I can't allow you to do this. My dad said to me, we'll talk about this later. And that was enough, right? It was him letting me know and signaling to me, Hey, I'm not okay with this, but we're going to talk about it later when things are in a better spot. And so, yeah, that, 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 it's okay to have and hold boundaries and to drop a little one-liner saying, Hey, I'm concerned. We'll find a good time to talk about this. But if the teen's emotions are up and your emotion as a caretaker is up, then that is just the powder keg, right? For disconnection. So how did he address it later? Good question. My family was a little bit, uh, we would talk about it and then I would be punished by reading a book and giving a book report on it. So like I would have to read some book on something that they wanted me to learn, which sounds funny, but the the way that they would approach it was the fact that like, I think my parents were a little bit afraid to like talk about things that they had done in their past, but they would, they would give some inklings like, Hey, like I, I was, I experimented a little bit or I did. And we, we shouldn't be afraid as caretakers, not to give like every gory detail of something, but just to put yourself in a position of understanding and saying, Hey, like, I've been there. I was young. Like I know what it's like to go to a party and you have these things going on. And this is, these are the rules of our house. And these are the things that we do. And these are the, where I'd like you to be. But number one, I think that maybe wasn't communicated, but what I felt probably is that it didn't shut down the conversation, even the punishment and what they're trying to do and saying, Hey, we're, we're not cool with this. Or when I would stay out past curfew or I would do something, whatever, it was like, we're not cool with this. We're going to find your consequence because you need to learn that there are natural consequences to our decisions, but that the conversation is ongoing. We don't want you to ever feel like we're so mad or we're so angry. or We're going to draw such a line that you have to not communicate with us. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Or making it like no matter what the child does, they'll never be good enough. And isn't the fastest way to alienate your team is to try to put up this front of, 
um, of being of invulnerability of, you know, I would net, you know, just, just trying to be flawless in their yeah. eyes when you, they know you're human. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I think the fastest way to alienate a teen is to, is to uh, not see them. Blame, be aggressive, not see them because then the protection, the, the concrete wall, I like to call it, goes up and the alienation starts, the separation begins. Yeah. Yeah, it's all right to be vulnerable with your children, to be genuine, to be real. Yeah, to be empathetic. And, and that really acknowledges the stage that a teen is in of curiosity and individuation. And then you, as, as, as we talked about earlier, that where we, we step in as a coach or a mentor and a parent with boundaries, but we're not just there to let them, you know, have free reign on things. We can say, hey, these are, this is, these are expectations, but we want to communicate around them. We want to hear what you think. You know, when, we, when I had the trust of my parents later on, I would let them know, hey, I'm going to go do this. And I'm probably going to be home at 1 p.m. Which is, or 1 a.m., which is an hour past curfew. But I would let them know what I was doing. And they had that trust in me until I did something dumb. And then I lost that trust and things were rolled back. But it was a constant ebb and flow because I myself was trying to find my, my way in life. Right. Yes. So That sounds like a help. And you also were covering what keeps parents from connecting. And it's probably this wanting to be friends and maybe trying to put up a, a big front. Also, I think it's some preoccupation. Sometimes we get caught up in our own careers and our own lives. And I think we need, as parents, do, do you address that in your book? Yeah, we do. And I think that everybody's situation is unique. And a lot of it is, is um, fueled by past programming, the way that they were raised. So in my family, control was at the heart of disconnect. It was my fear is driving my control. If I can control and keep you in line this way, then I can assure myself that this is going to go the way I want it to go, or I think it should go, right? But for somebody else, it might be just their, their communication style might be to not address anything that is uncomfortable. Everything's good, everything's happy, and we're not addressing the elephant in the room. <laughs> and that's the way that their parents did it, right? So we ask in the book that everybody goes and takes an assessment of what their family culture was like growing up and how much of that has come, come over without even thinking about it, right? It's programmed there in the subconscious that we're just playing on auto. Yeah. There was a really cool moment when Holly and I were writing this book where Holly was going through something and we were both kind of just realizing that one of the things that keeps parents from really connecting is not knowing how they deal with their own pain and how they avoid it. And we had to kind of look at our own pain and what we were going through and how we avoided it and how we kind of created these like, you know, defense mechanisms and these default settings that kept us from really sitting with our pain and then not projecting that out onto somebody else. And I was really grateful to Holly in that moment because she was going through a lot. We were kind of had to look at this and say like, we can't write this book until we know what we, how we deal with this stuff as well. 
and I think it was a kind of really cool moment. And as we, as we wrote this book, um, for us to be vulnerable and say, okay, well, we do this too. We all do this. We're not just like these coaches up on high that tell people what to do. Like we're struggling just like anybody else, but we can learn from it. Now that yeah. is valuable. And so you have that exercise in your book of, you yeah. know, parents learning to get in touch with their own emotions. Yeah. Um, because when we look at addiction, you know, a lot of people are struggling with addiction. Um, at the core of it, they are numbing out traumas. They are numbing out um, experiences or uh, lack of, of connection. And it, because it's so painful, right? And they haven't been given the skill set or the tools to deal with pain properly in a way that's healthy. They, they are following the loudest or most direct voice in their path, whether that's an introduction from a friend, you know, that's made them feel alive and connected or a neighbor or watching a family member. I had one client whose mother was upset that she medicated in a certain way and then neglected to see that she was over shopping. <laughs> And didn't see the, didn't see the relation. It was just blame, 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 blame. And you're like, well, wait a minute. Why are you buying all this stuff? Like, what's going on? Well, I, you know, I like it. You know, come up with the excuses. I'm like, don't judge somebody because they're self-medicating differently than you. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Now you're talking about healthy. I'm seeing that guitar behind you. I understand you're a songwriter. Yes, I am. I go under a different artist name. Um, under Ashton Zyre, if you're interested, spelt okay. Z-Y-E-R. But yeah, I started writing songs as a way to kind of deal with my own pain. And what a great segue. I didn't even think about that. But that yes. was, I was in so much pain as a younger girl. And this was a way for me to, you know, hide it. it I know this sounds terrible, but you know, when a parent is really grasping for control and to and to, to get back in the good graces, a lot of times they'll start snooping in places and you lose your privacy as a teen. So I had my parents in my journals or whatever. I didn't have any autonomy. So writing was perfect for me because I could write about things and I could code them and nobody would know, right? So I started writing as a teen and then it's just progressed into as, as an adult. Yeah. I, I think it's excellent example yeah. of a healthy coping skill. I yeah. love it. Yeah. Yeah. Journaling. Uh, we, I mean, we talk about that in the book that it, it's really important. One of the struggles that, that we think some teens have is this socialized idea in our culture that if you don't have a life that matches other people, that's exciting and, or, own certain things or hit certain levels of success in school or whatever, that you are not as valuable, um, that something's wrong with your life, that, and then the depression sets in. And we talk about in the book that we need to be more authentic about what life really looks like and, and have the conversations early on about dealing with the pain and loss that's going to come that you cannot prevent. Um, no matter how perfect you try and live your life, it's coming, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, so um, what do we do instead, it, instead of like numbing out by eating or getting lost in fantasy and books or gaming or whatever? Well, what can we do that's more productive? 
Um, so we do talk about that in the book. And I'd encourage anybody listening today, like if they've had those types of conversations with their family members and taking a look at what maybe their parents used to do to you know, deal with loss and pain and also to address how, how much they're able to manage their own. Do they, are they a lesson thief? Um, do, they, do they steal the lessons of their children because it's so painful to watch them? They're like, oh, I'll just take care of it. I'll make it nice and better. <laughs> Instead of letting them feel it and learn how to overcome and become resilient in increments where they have support at home so that when they leave home as adults and, and the real world hits them, they're not crippled. They feel like, I can get through this or mom and dad can say, you can do this. You remember this time you, you in high school, this happened and you overcame. Remember this time when you overcame, they've got a lot of great history to help them along their path of resiliency with what they're dealing with. Now there's a golden nugget right there. I love that. Let them experience that failure, that angst. I love it. Okay. We just have a few minutes left and I want to make sure you have oh, wow. a chance to talk about services you offer and how do people reach you? Joshua. Well, we, uh, we have joshandholly.com. Holly is spelled, spelled H-O-L-L-I-E.com. It's not, uh, Holly and I are, are just friends. We're not married. People think it's like an engagement site, but it's not. It's our coaching website where we offer one-on-one personal coaching, parent coaching. We both uh, coach young, all age ranges, really. Um, our book is available on Amazon, uh, Banghead here. It's it's audio and and just in written word. And there's a uh, on Kindle as well. Um, and so we're also on Instagram at Josh and Holly. I mean, anything else I'm missing too? Facebook. I mean, all the platforms we're on. Yeah. Uh, we're, yeah. And we're we're looking into doing um, a training slash. Um, humanitarian project. Do you want to say, talk about that real fast, Josh? Yeah. The best thing that people can do is join our email list on our, on, on our website at joshandholly.com because we are, we're going to be offering some like uh, humanitarian trips. We, we have a program called humanitarian therapy where we'll take families who are struggling with their struggling one loved ones. And we'll, we'll do some service. We'll get beyond ourselves a little bit and out of our heads. And then we'll Holly and I will provide some training based on the book to help those, uh, those families reconnect. So we're going to be kind of experimenting with some new ideas here in, in, in the coming year. And we'd love to have everybody be a part of it or at least to know about them. And I, I, you know, doing service together, I, I recommend that to the families I work with too. That'll really help you bond together. It, yeah. That's an excellent. Absolutely. I love Absolutely. it. Well, Josh and Holly, thank you so much for coming. You've just shared some valuable insights for those, you know, challenging teen years on how we can connect with our teens. So I invite my audience, join me again next week at the same time. And remember, we're making the world a better place by strengthening families. This is Emma Lou Penrod at healingyourfamilies.com.